bottom of the Smash Mountain, Season 2, Episode 36, Quietly Hype. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Jesse. You can also call me Cypher. You get it. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode here. Today we have Juggle Guy, a.k.a. Robin Harn. You know who this person is. It's pretty much obvious why you're here. You're here to listen to the interview. But before we do that, I guess I should say for the record that Robin is the head tournament organizer of the Big House series. <laughs> no, yeah, not a big deal. <laughs> I'm thankful to talk to a variety of different people in regards to Melee and on this podcast. But yes, I am very thankful that I was able to have this great conversation with Robin, who's very gracious with his time and we were able to talk about a variety of different things and including the cease and desist situation. So sit back, relax, hope you enjoy the interview and we'll talk afterwards. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain and today I'm very excited to be joined by Juggle Guy, AKA Robin Harn, your favorite TO's favorite TO. Robin, thank you so much <laughs> for joining me. Uh, thank you, you're too kind. Uh, good to be here, Th uh, good to meet you, Jesse. It's been really cool to be able to talk to different TOs and in the course of those conversations, I feel like your name does come up a fair amount. Most recently, I was able to have Kish Prime on for an interview and when we were done talking, just sort of going over like one tournament in particular and I think this would be a great way to segue into some of your origin story as it comes to Melee mm -hmm. and doing tournaments and running events. Something that Kesh Prime said was how excited he was to have you on the team for FC Legacy, which was a tournament all the way back in 2012, almost Love 10 years tournament. ago. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did listen to that interview, actually, just a couple of days ago. That was really good. Um, I, I don't know if somebody was supplying you notes or if you, you're just a god at remembering everything that happened in like 2005 onwards, but you had some pretty good questions for Kish, so <laughs> that was kind of impressive. I did have a lot of help from Patty from Austin Melee. So shout outs to Patty. Get definitely gave me oh, some. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you, you mentioned that. Yep, yep. So I think that's one that's one way to go in terms of your origin story. But by two thousand twelve you had already started the big house and was you were going into the big house too back in two thousand twelve also. I wanted to go back just a little bit further first and hear mm -hmm. when you first got into Melee. What was that like for you? Yeah, um, I, I don't know if this was on the Kish Prime episode or the Matt Dodds episode, but I, I was listening and I think, if I remember correctly, I think we might actually have the same piece of Melee content to thank for our introduction to the competitive scene. Uh, and that would be Ken vs. PC Chris for me <laughs> at uh, MLG New York. Oh, is, yes. Is that, is that how you, you kind of got introduced to? Yes, that was the first that was the first competitive melee set that I remember watching on YouTube like all the way back in like 2006 or so. Then that was incredible. Honestly, just does not get old. I mean, it's one of the greatest commentary intros of all time, honestly. But like I basically have it memorized. Wife just hops on the mic. He's like he lays it all out there in 30 seconds. Oh, piece of Chris, rising young star. 6 months ago only semi respected. A year ago barely known. 2 years ago not known at all. And here he is in grand finals threatening to to beat Ken. It's so exciting. I I could recite the basically the rest of the set uh that that kind of content is uh i i i hope that's that is still a thing for this current generation of players because that's uh, i can point to that very clearly and be like it, that's when i first learned of competitive melee i have wife to thank for a lot of the original 
sets that I've watched of competitive melee and wife did such a great job. And other, the other commentators as well. I, I love how Alston melee did a tweet. Maybe it was about a month ago or so to say that wife was really pulling that commentating block so hard. And husband was going, yeah, Martha humanoid character with a big sword. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a humanoid and, uh, he is a big sword. Um, and, uh, there's a forward cancel and, and we're, we're sitting here in 2021. Like, what is a forward cancel, husband? <laughs> but I, not, it wasn't always it wasn't always like super super perfect. But I think that I think that when when wife was involved with commentary way back when in the MLG days in particular, that was really fun to hear those sets. Even though I I still didn't really understand was what was happening. I didn't know what tech was when when Ken would try to up B and then. PC Chris would down smash on Dreamland and like down smash over and over and Ken would just keep tacking off of the wall yes. and, like, having that explained like it was really cool that, that was a mind-blowing moment for me too I was like and and by the way these videos on YouTube are like at like 144p or something so it's kind of hard to tell what Ken is doing but now we know that okay he was doing a um a, a tech against the wall against PC Chris's down smashes. But yeah, back in the day, I was like, oh my God, he just, he did this thing, this magical thing, like three straight times. Um, yeah, best player in the world. Absolutely. Like, I was like, no, that doesn't make sense. He's supposed to fly away from the stage. Why does he <laughs> yeah, keep on, yeah. like, making contact with the wall? What's going on? Exactly. It was really cool. So yeah, I mean, that's that's how I learned of the existence of competitive melee. So I started playing a bit here and there. I mean, I played casually like everybody else, but um, like when I started getting into like the Ken vs. PC Chris's uh, on YouTube, I then just started playing more. There was a Smash Club at my high school started by a guy named Lane, who most people might know as one of the best Ice Climbers players back in the early Brawl days. Uh, so Lane got me into Melee. Uh, I was kind of a Brawl baby in, in that sense, in that... I did not go to any tournaments until after Brawl came out, um, and for a while I played both because, I mean, luckily it seemed like everywhere you went, the <laughs> like the melee boomers at the time were clinging on to their game, begging Tios to include melee as a side event to the to the big Brawl tournament happening at the time, which is pretty funny, looking back on it. Uh, so, <laughs> I remember traveling to a Chicago tournament with both melee and brawl at it and uh, I enter both and I, I basically convert back to a melee diehard right then and there because of the warm welcome I got from the Chicagoland melee scene so at, at that point it kind of became less about the gameplay and more who are the people surrounding the events that I associate with and who do I vibe with uh, so I, I still very clearly remember Kells, Big D, Scythe, Rat uh, some of these Chicago homies, I, I'd mostly have them to thank for um, helping me see the light and, and getting me back into Melee on that one trip to Chicago. It's really cool to hear how it was a blend of the game and the community itself that really sold you on Melee and gently led you away from Brawl. A great choice mm -hmm. on your part, of course, but also a big <laughs> kudos to the game of Melee itself and the community, it sounds like, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's, I mean... No shit at Brawl. I mean, it's it's this thing where we we had Smash 64 to Melee transition, and almost universally, everyone's like, Melee's just better. So when Brawl came out, there was kind of this underlying assumption that, it wait, it should be better, right? Right? Like, they wouldn't make a worse game, would they? And then finally, after a year, everyone was like, man, they really made a worse game. <laughs> I guess we're going back 
And with with Brawl, there was so many Nintendo Wiis being sold, so many, and that would just bring in people who got Brawl and played it and thought, oh, I'm really good at this game. And it would bring people to Brawl tournaments. But like you were saying, people would talk about how there would be like so many setups for Brawl, all these Wiis everywhere, but then there'd be one setup someone brought their GameCube or or just at least brought the disc and memory card and is like, no, we're not playing Brawl in this setup. We're playing Melee. And that's, oh, yeah. that's how it survived in a, in a local sense, that there was still a, a small amount of people here and there across the United States and across the rest of the world who just insisted, no, Melee is still a great game. There's still more to be played. Like all those all those great quotes and, and bringing Melee through the dark ages of Melee, which lasted longer than... A year it was a, it was a long time until it really started to blow up but that didn't stop you from trying to host your own tournament series uh, was mm-hmm. big house the first real attempt at doing it yourself or did you try to do other things before leading up to the big house uh there was a progression i, I didn't just jump into big house uh, i hosted a couple little house tournaments uh just you know in the teens attendance wise and then there was a kind of a jump from there to we, we did intercampus monthlies between the University of Michigan and Michigan State University, where uh, every month we'd alternate back and forth to try, try to um, catalyze the scenes in both areas at once, uh, which worked out pretty well. I, I think that was uh, back in like 2010, 2011. Uh, and that kind of led to uh, a little bit of recognition from the national TOs. Uh, a- Apex reached out to me, and they were doing this uh, like road to Apex circuit qualifier thing, where they wanted one big tournament in each region to to the, to give qualifier points to the winner or whatever. Winner would be flown out to Apex 2012, I believe, was the deal. So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I was contacted and. Uh, asked to do the Midwest edition of the Road to Apex, and that's how the Big House was born. And where does the name the Big House come from? I think I was hearing in an interview that Homemade Waffles, a uh, friend of the program, by the way, who you were talking to about the origin of the name. Is there a venue in Michigan that already goes by <laughs> the Big House? You've done your research. Very nice. Uh, yeah, it's the, the Big House is the name of Michigan Stadium uh, in Ann Arbor, which is I, I believe still the largest football stadium in North America, if I if I recall correctly. And uh, I there's really not too much of an interesting story behind this. I didn't know what to call this Road to Apex Midwest event. And I was like, I, I wasn't thinking there was going to be a sequel to this. I was like, well, we'll just call it something that uh, something that definitely rolls off the tongue and stands the test of time, which is the big house because it's been around for 100 years. <laughs> Wow, the the football stadium itself has been around for a very long time. You, you're making it sound like if it's really if it really is the biggest one in North America, then it probably has to seat at least like 120,000 people. Wouldn't that be crazy to have for for melee? And this is something that I'm sure you've you've thought about because it sounds like you're Michigan through and through. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> I have thought about this. Uh... And it, there are a couple logistical difficulties, namely that I usually host in October in the middle of the football season. And <laughs> the fact that Michigan Stadium, last I checked, does not have a roof. So those poor CRT TVs, uh, God forbid there's, a, there's rain in the forecast. <laughs> but I also wanted to ask you about being from the Midwest and being from Michigan. It sounds like for most or all of your life, what 
about the Midwest is something that you really like to sell on for other people who haven't been out, who are interested in checking out tournaments in the Midwest? Like, how would how would you talk about that if if well, I'm literally asking you, so you can just answer that question then. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a culture uh, surrounding the Midwest. At least there was before the age of, you know, social media, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube. Uh, I think it was a little bit easier to kind of categorize the different regions as having uh, distinct cultures. And for me, what jumped out at me with the Midwest is we didn't have the best players. So um, the TOs from this region, we had to really step up our game and make sure the events were of high quality to convince people to fly out. Uh, and it is a good meeting point between East Coast and West Coast, too. So, I mean, I, I didn't mind playing, like, kind of the third wheel. East Coast and West Coast had the best players, and Midwest was kind of like, hey, uh, just just come to our region and duke it out here. We'll host a really good event for you. That's what we're going to contribute. We, we don't have the good players, but <laughs> come anyway. And that that it was kind of like that for a while. That was um, kind of the story behind Big House 1. S2J and Lovage came out from the West Coast, I believe, for the first time. And um, back then, Toronto was such a powerhouse. We had Kirby Kaze, uh, Unknown, and Raynex come out from, um, I guess I'm counting Toronto as East Coast, but uh, that was essentially the concept. And in order to be able to qualify for Apex 2012, that, yeah, that's, or that's really cool. And mm-hmm. so after Big House happens, sorry, the Big House happens, like you're already ha- you've already had a lot of tournaments that you've run underneath your belt and you weren't necessarily thinking about the big house two or anything like that but i was kind of curious of how you came to be involved with fc legacy and memories that you have from that event in 2012 yeah great question um this has taken me back uh melee i i don't, I don't was it melee legacy or I, I remember it as melee fc 10 reunion uh, are we talking about the same tournament um this is the tournament that was in the original smash brothers documentary where <laughs> okay yeah yeah uh, mango, mango and being, uh, slightly problematic end. you could say yeah <laughs> exactly yeah I, I, this is the same tournament uh i guess the kishes they just can't make up their minds on what to call a tournament <laughs> but <laughs> it, we are talking about the same thing uh back then i was big on recording matches uh you, you look back at like the treasure trove of um melee sets from like homemade waffles's channel and i was kind of one of the other people making sure that uh important matches from the apexes uh and and the big houses of that era were recorded uh and i there's just something about preserving those uh like some of those matchups were really novel like s2j versus kirby kaze You, you couldn't even think it it was possible a year before the big house won so uh, I reached out to Kish and I was like, hey, it's really important that, especially in the format that you're doing with um, a lot of round robins, there's going to be a lot of matches here that um, are going to go unrecorded and I can boost that number and just uh, post-mortem after the event, get you more exposure and just help grow the scene that way. And Kish was like, yeah, absolutely. That That's a fantastic idea. You are in charge of, uh, you know, wh- whatever the stream queue, bracket queue, recording queue, whatever you want to call it at, at the event. And that's kind of how I helped. That's something that Kish Prime said, like made it very clear to me, like how proud he was of the team that really helped to make that event go super well and was really proud of like how the event turned out and everything even if <laughs> even if it didn't like come across as like a super awesome event in the documentary itself like everybody that was there seemed to have a great time and and 
Chris, Kish Prime seemed to be very pr- proud of it overall. I, I loved it because the Kishes, they are not afraid of stamping their personality on what their creative vision for the event is. I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I believe that event was like from a Sunday to a Tuesday or some crazy schedule. Um, and <laughs> everyone still went anyway. So, um, and, and the round robin at the end, I don't think that's really been done ever again. Uh, but essentially, instead of a top eight double elimination bracket, they put the the final eight competitors in a giant round robin and just played it out. Everybody got seven matches versus the other opponents. Uh, and somehow they scheduled it in a way, I mean, maybe this was a little bit lucky that Mango and Hungrybox were leaps and bounds above everybody else, but Mango and Hungrybox were the last two to play in that round robin and that kind of acted as a pseudo grand finals i did not know this and i was always confused when i watched the documentary how the commentators were saying wow they really knew what they were doing by having mango and hungry box play last year in the lineup and i'm unsure if (laughs) if if mango and hungry box were sort of like the favorites to take that Mm -hmm. event that having them play last would make sense to do that as compared to playing in the middle or playing at the start of all that round round robin as a top eight that is interesting yeah, exactly. It, I I thought it was a wonderful format. Uh, maybe they caught lightning in a bottle with with that specific event, but it it, it led to a lot of uh, a, a lot of good content on YouTube for people. And something that you said also in the Big House Seven interview, where homemade waffles and you're just sitting down, you're both sitting down. It's the end of the uh, end of the event. I really enjoyed the fact that there were a few of those still up on YouTube that Mm -hmm. you were interviewing with either Scar or somebody else at the end of the big house, whatever number it is, and just kind of like looking back (laughs) as as it's wrapping up. Uh, Something that you said that I thought was interesting is how how, uh, head TO should really have a wide variety skill base as compared to being good at one really important thing, but to Mm. be skilled or or medium-sized good at a a bunch of different things and being able to find people that can do specific jobs and tasks better than the head TO can ever do like mm-hmm. just assembling a true team and that's something that is a really big deal for you where you can even get to the point where you could play friendlies at your own tournament even <laughs> during the days that the tournament itself is actually happening how important is that for you when did you first decide that's how you want to run a tournament yeah um <clears throat> it's really about recognizing the strengths of your personnel right so um what i will say about that is uh when organizing uh, a staff around me for an event or whatever organization I'm part of. Usually the recurring theme is everyone around me, every team member I work with and every contractor I hire is usually way better at their job than I would be if I were to do their job. Uh, And (laughs) like, you know, I have a broad range of interests. I like putting on different hats. You know, part of that means maybe I understand more about different departments. uh, But at the end of the day, do I really understand? Like, no, not really. I don't know the nitty gritty details of like the technical stuff that a stream producer has to come up with and like at my job i don't know what happens inside a computer when it compiles my code but i know just enough to have an intuition on how to put certain projects together uh so i feel like toing is the art of knowing just enough about the most possible things uh and just try to do that in a way that builds the community with your creative vision and when did you figure out that the big house two was going to happen and then leads and in, leads into big house three and you st- start to say to yourself, are we, we're, we're too big for the venue we're in now. It's sort of like it's the growing of- pains and lessons that you learned as you continue to build into, Oh, we're doing the fourth one now, like all that kind of stuff. If you want to talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, having not hosted anything uh, on a major scale before, Big House One kind of scratched my entrepreneurial itch. I, I really enjoyed the process of finding a venue and, uh, like I said, putting on a lot of different hats, whether that's marketing, logistics, uh, uh, the technical stuff. <clears throat> so that that's kind of why I wanted to do Big House 2 and 3, and it moved to a two-day event, and then finally, like, a three-day event a couple of years later. Uh, and, like, just the support from the top players in the community was what helped drive that. I think for 2, Mango and Hungry Box came out, and that was the moment where I was like, oh, wow, we have a couple of the gods actually coming to my events. I, I think we got to do this again. Uh, and it... it it feels good to be able to have the challenge uh, entrepreneurially to be like, how, how do we deal with a 300 person event or 400 or 500 uh, where we can't just keep doing, you know, getting together this ragtag group of uh, Michigan homies, just like five or six guys trying to host this thing. And <laughs> I, I think that's, uh, we got away with it for a while, but big house four was probably the, the stopping point there. Where it gets to the point where, like, uh, when I was able to talk to G-Town, Tom, over based in New England, being like, yeah, when Jungle Guy says to me, you're coming out to help with the big house, <laughs> then I'm going out to help with the big house. Like, it's, like, cool stuff like that where you're <laughs> able to use the, the, the friends that you've made along the way and people that you've been able to network with to say, mm -hmm. hey, when we do this again next year, I'd like for you to be involved in some way because I see what you're doing in your community specifically. Like if it's out in the out in West Coast or East Coast, I see what you're doing. And it would be great if you could help in some capacity for the next big house. Like I think that you possess that ability to be able to see that in people and then put them in a place where they can succeed when you bring them in and preparation seems to be really important to you as well. It's, it's something that you've talked about before where you say nobody should get to my event on Thursday to help with any sort of thing, whether that's literally moving around chairs and CRTs mm -hmm. or doing stuff with stream production, whatever it is, they shouldn't arrive not knowing what to do. If you wanted to yeah. talk about that a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. It, a lot of the work, that goes into like a, a large scale event can be front loaded that that's absolutely right. So, um, I, I, I remember there's a, there's a piece of advice somebody gave about, Oh, what do I do when I get stuck in Jigglypuff's wall of pain back airs? Uh, and some, some top player responded, don't be there. <laughs> don't, don't be in that situation in the first place. <laughs> I, I feel like that is a uh, very analogous to some of the tailing challenges is you don't want to be the one putting out the fires uh, even if you're really good at doing that, it's preventing the fires from happening in the first place. And that, that is a philosophy I try to carry out uh, and uh, embody in the Big House series. And it, it's worked out okay, minus, like I said, Big House 4. That was, honestly, like people remember the top eight, which was amazing, but that was by far the worst tournament I've ever run. <laughs> and most people don't know that. What would you say stands out in your memory of running that event now that you feel like oh, I've definitely learned from that. This is how the Big House 5 was better in that way. Or do you not like to talk about like the negative kind of stuff about running tournaments for yourself? Oh, I'm all about talking about the negative stuff. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how we learn. Um, but it, essentially, we were dealing with huge growth at the time from uh, just going back, the ripple of new players coming in after the documentary and Evo bringing us back, which both happened in 2013. So 
Big House 4 was in 2014, and, and we felt those effects for the first time. And maybe in hindsight, I should have prepared more for the, the giant uh, turnout, because the first three big houses, the attendance, I believe, was like 100, 120, 170. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, 570 at Big House 4. So Whoa. Yeah, like a 300 and something percent growth in one year i don't know if any other smash event series has experienced that kind of jump uh but it <laughs> you can just ask some of the michigan homies like brian chad ctl richard uh roki they we were trying desperately to keep up during the events and while also looking at each other being like why the hell did we not anticipate this <laughs> <laughs> so in my eyes that was basically the last do it with your own ragtag group crew of homies smash major that has ever existed uh and from that point on, we had to learn about just like economies of scale and all this, um, all, 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 all this stuff that, you know, enters G gaming gen and Smash GG. Those were the two heavy hitters that really helped us for uh, the Big House Five and beyond. So throughout this whole process, when it's Big House Four and Big House Five, the Big House Six, what are you, what are you doing in your own personal life? Because it's like, you probably say to yourself, I could like maybe run other tournaments. Maybe you did. Maybe you still do. I'm I'm curious to hear about that. But what were what else were you doing like in between like one really large weekend of your life a year the rest of the way through like college that sort of thing all that stuff. Um yeah college man I just, I, I graduated uh, in 2013 and uh, ironically I think you know after that I got uh I got into what I I think I was working IT at a healthcare company for a number of years so. Uh, just getting into the routine of a like a nine to five office style job, it, it might have helped me <laughs> uh, just like categorize my time between okay, this is when I'm working on Big House and this is when I'm at my day job. Uh, whereas in college, it was more of a, a scramble, like uh, not really knowing where where my mind is is wandering at any given moment. So uh, the thing is with those events that are getting like thousands of people, it, it, it is a pretty long preparation process. So I usually start thinking about it in like February and March for an October event, which I mean, in other industries, you have to get venues years ahead of time. But uh, in, in Smash, we famously are last minute for everything. So uh, last minute in this case is honestly like eight or nine months. So you're able to go from different size venue to different size venue because obviously the big house one is a different place than the big house nine. But yeah. when you're now experiencing all the growth and you have started to increase the size of the team and now we're starting to get into like the 2017 era, like big house seven and the big house eight, mm -hmm. do you feel like this is pretty much, a self-sustaining thing where you where you go this is about the only tournament that i'm going to run i'm not going to try to do anything else um not not quite that extreme i i would say i i was still hosting some of those inner campus monthlies uh it, but that's like J january through april right so a, a pretty good time of year where uh i'm focusing my creative effort on something else and then then it's transitioning into like okay we'll, we'll start thinking about big house and uh, see what other tournaments are doing, uh, try to incorporate the ideas that we've learned in the past year. Uh, I, I think it's pretty funny, the cycle of, um, you know, I, I would often just like, I would go to Evo, I'd go to SmashCon in like 2015, 2016, and 
these are very different events, uh, very, uh, very cool in their own ways, and they have their own personality. Uh, and a lot of times I would just copy what they did every year and until I copied it enough that I learned why that was actually good for the events uh, <laughs> attendees. And Sheridan has, has kind of echoed the same thing. And uh, the, the biggest compliment he ever gave me was, hey, Robin, I copied some of the stuff you did at Big House. Uh, and you, you'll, you'll see in a couple months at Genesis. So that that's kind of the cycle of um, uh, of thinking about the tournaments and developing the vision for it. So what about Juggle Guy, the player? I... I... I feel so bad for you because when I looked up Juggle Guy and was looking for a melee oh, no. set that you played in, the first thing that came up was oh, you no. versus Mewtwo King, and you're playing as Fox, and I'm sure you know about this. Oh, God. that's So uh, <laughs> I'll try to give the abbreviated version. Uh, everyone has a Mewtwo King story. Back, back when he came to Ann Arbor, for there, Ann Arbor had some really big brawl tournaments, and he would also play melee on the side just to farm us for money. Uh, so he, after the tournament, I was like, okay, well, um, I'm the TO, so why don't you, here, here, play me in a couple sets first. I'll I'll keep this, uh, the, the payout in my pocket here. We'll, we'll have you do this first. And he's like, all right, fine. And for some reason he didn't want to do the Marth Falcon matchup. So I said, okay, well, uh, I'll play your game. Who do you want me to play? And he said, Fox. And I was like, oh, shit. I, <laughs> I, I know how this is going to go. But me being a recording fiend at the time, I was also thinking, hey, you know what? This could grow my YouTube channel. I bet this is going to be a banger. <laughs> Everybody commenting. And I don't mind being the whipping boy here. He, he'll four stock me like seven straight times. That's fine. And it actually did turn out that way. That that video has done well, especially <laughs> since, again, this is coming out during a time when there wasn't a ton of melee content not certainly not at the level that it is nowadays Mm -hmm. so congratulations on that but what i did get really (laughs) excited and popped off a little bit observing today was you playing against the crimson blur prime crimson blur and yes you get to play captain falcon this time mango and scar commentating and no player cams right (laughs) (laughs) oh man there's this whole story like i i was pretty anal about how the stream layout looked once upon a time i was like you know what i i'm not i'm not feeling the player cams so there there was this whole we, we didn't really have a good line of communication on twitter and whatnot back this was 2014 so the, the whole running joke became like, oh, Blur vs. Juggle Guy. This this is further right for player cams to be on the stream. <laughs> and that that's a, that's a, ooh, I, I could talk hours and hours about Blur. That the, the guy has done so much for Melee and also been the butt of so many jokes. He, it, it's, it's fantastic. One of the best, one of the best characters, but I feel like I hardly know Blur in terms of like a more of a human person other than when when things seem to be in a in a bad spot for melee, Blur comes out. Blur is in everybody's chat, trying to push for hey, we gotta rally around melee or rally around whatever the situation is. Like I remember, especially, and I am getting a, a little ahead of myself, but just as an example, with the cease and desist letter from Nintendo for the Big House Ten online, mm-hmm. like Blur was out there, like you know, fighting the good fight. So, yeah. if you want to share a story that you feel like, kind of explains who blur is more 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 as a person and not so much as the character that i feel like i (laughs) i know him more of that would be really cool if you don't mind sharing 
Oh, it's going to kill me to have to compliment Blur, but <laughs> he he is the first person I called right after I got news of the cease and desist. Uh, I, I, I didn't know who else ha- was more qualified to give me advice at that time because yeah, he worked at Twitch for a number of years trying to make something happen with Nintendo uh, and learned firsthand how difficult that is. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was... I'm trying to take myself back to 2020 when this happened. I think I was moping around in the summer like any other TO whose uh, late 2020 event got canceled due to COVID. Uh, But suddenly I'm like, okay, well, Slippy is this breakthrough we need. Let's host an online big house. Um, And then I get an email from a contact at Nintendo of America, like the competitive play department. And I guess for privacy reasons, we'll just call him Mr. Ninja, Mr. Nintendo Ninja. Cause sure, <laughs> Mr. Nintendo Ninja, he tells me to hop on a call later that week, uh, and he very clearly lays out the fact that Nintendo's not happy with Slippy circulating through the melee scene, especially at an upcoming event that, uh, like mine, has been historically quote unquote partnered with Nintendo in the public eye. <clears throat> so I mean, that was that was the the most direct stance I've heard from them. But um, at, at, at this point, it's kind of like. TOs are, are thinking in the back of their minds. They haven't really shut down an event since Evo 2013, and, and they didn't even succeed at that. So uh, what, what's going to happen if we just say no to them when they come calling, right? What, what's the worst that could happen? And <laughs> I, I, uh, I, that's exactly what I did. And literally less than three weeks later, they sent me a cease and desist letter from some lawyer in California. Uh, so <clears throat> that is very unfortunate because I keep thinking about wow, they took action so fast, and if they just put the same amount of enthusiasm into actually helping the scene rather than shutting down an event in three weeks, imagine the possibilities. I certainly uh, have seen like the, the, the discourse around the cease and desist time like of how this has been going on for years. Like Nintendo has more or less been trying to screw over Melee and screw over Smash, and then we kind of hear testimonies from other communities as well that are Nintendo communities saying, yeah, haven't really felt a whole lot of support from Nintendo either, that kind of thing. But just to take a step back, in 2015 or so is when certain like Apex 2015 perhaps, or, or at least the Genesis that was hosted that year, that Nintendo partnership, like mm. when that's first started to yeah. get thrown around, like, hey, Nintendo is yes. actually reaching out and partnering up with like the big tournaments, not with Evo, but like with Genesis and then later on for you, the big house and I guess SmashCon, I gu- I'm guessing or trying to remember being one of those events as well. But uh, regardless of the list, from, from your experience, what was that like in those times when there was a bit of a buzz around the idea of Nintendo might be warming up to us, but my, my impression is that they tried deliberately to kind of keep things on like the down low and try to offer as little direction as possible in what I feel is kind of a deliberate stance of saying, let's not give these, these tournament organizers and this entire community, like something that they can actually grasp at, try to more or less be steam and air, something that you can't really, find borders and and rules or or yeses and nos it's just all really confusing that's what it seems to me it it is confusing and honestly it looks silly in hindsight but at the time uh i I would challenge people to try to put themselves in our shoes and um 
the the tos rather because there there is there was tremendous upside that we saw um and honestly some sacrifices had to be made uh but the the whole concept is okay why does nintendo care about shutting down an event like big house online so uh what i've observed is at some point in the growth of an organization or event or whatever uh, they have to start playing by the rules laid out by the governing body that exists in that realm. So a mom and pop shop can get away with paying employees under the table, dodging taxes or whatever. Uh, but bigger companies, they're, they're too visible. They can't really avoid the attention of the IRS. And then we have the biggest organizations, Genesis Evo Big House, where, which I'm, I don't know. It's like the Google app, Apple, Amazon of the Smash landscape, I, I suppose, because because we're on a, a a whole nother level of attention, Nintendo knows that their intellectual property is being represented to millions and millions of viewers. And so they consciously decide to step in and exert their control over certain areas of the production. Um, so like the big thing I, I want to clarify is we don't choose to be partnered with Nintendo. It's them. They call come calling and they offer their licensing agreement to us, which it, it kind of assures the TO that an EVO 2013 situation won't happen again with our event. So each individual TO ha has a different risk profile. And I mean, most of us, we, we just go with it because sure, one of us could decline the license agreement, but that's asking us to take on the risk of having the event scrutinized, potentially shut down. Uh, so I think there was an attitude that Nintendo would never do that after EVO 2013. You know, we just decline and do our own thing. But um I guess the cease and desist last year probably swings that back in the direction where we're, we're risk averse again. So one of the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I definitely fall in that camp. Uh, and that's what I would love for the average community member to, to understand and, and, and empathize when they ask, you know, why can't Genesis or big house just run project M uh, or why can't you guys, uh, mass imports a bunch of modded Wii's and load up UCF everywhere, uh, just publicly. It's it's just not that simple at our level engagement with the parent company, unfortunately. One of the greatest double-edged swords that I can think of within Melee, other than a character like Fox that can destroy as well as be destroyed when it comes to the community side of things and tournament organization is how you can have different people, different smaller organizations there's the the VGBCs of the world, and then there's there's stuff like beyond the Smash or beyond the Summit, like trying to organize their events. There's mm -hmm. different people trying to run their own tournaments, and they sort of operate independently of one another. But that also means that there's not a governing body, quote unquote, of of yeah. Smash. Even something like the Code of Conduct panel, which I thought was awesome, like there there's just less of that in Melee. It's like one of the greater double-edged swords. I, I wondered what your thoughts were on or are on, on the fact that it's not like there's one big sort of like melee group, kind of like how Melee on me operated in that sense for a little mm -hmm. while, not for tournament organizations specifically, but for a little right. while was sort of like the rallying cry for, for the community. But there's, there's kind of less of that. I feel like in melee than there ought to be, but what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a double-edged sword. Uh, at the same time, <clears throat> one of the reasons we're so strong as a community is <clears throat> because of the lack of Nintendo involvement for so long. And we were able to develop as a grassroots scene and have that foundation behind us. Uh, on, on the other hand, 
<clears throat> that comes with uh, a lot of uh, downsides, like the lack of prize money and the fact that anytime a big organization is thinking about sponsoring an event, the first question that the upper management at that company is going to ask is, is this Nintendo approved? And there is just simply no clear answer to that question ever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a shadowy governing body that only steps in when uh, when they feel like their IP is is being represented in a way that they don't like, which it's a little unfortunate. But I, I and I don't think we've heard the last from them, too. So it's something that we just kind of have to contend with. An event that happened recently that I that I'm thinking of is something like the Octagon 2, which was put out by the Golden Guardians team. And they had they have custom skins for the characters and custom stage well not custom stages truly just the stuff like final destination and had golden guardians uh, on or, or did it say the octagon now i can't even remember on the yeah, it was one on of the those. platform of the stage and and that was really cool and everybody's going like oh we should do more of this but i'm thinking to myself yeah but you know what happens if like a big enough event tries to do <laughs> something like that right like yeah. did we all did we all maybe forget that a little bit uh <laughs> I'm sure for you that that just goes through your mind when you're when you get feedback from people who are saying, oh, you know, you can make the event so much cooler if you do this or if you do that. Hey, can we try to do this, whatever it is that you have to consider those sort of things and try to be like, okay, look, we have to try to (laughs) straddle this really weird, invincible line, but still try to figure out what it is in order to have an event that goes well. It's very cool, very hype, but also not get shut down. It is kind of weird, right? It almost feels like uh, uh, events get punished for becoming too big because then they get noticed by Big Brother and, well, rules are laid upon them. So, <laughs> yeah, I- I'm sure if um, Golden Guardians keeps running events uh, and they and they grow to the size of a Genesis Evo big house, they, they-, they will also <laughs> have constraints to abide by and th- they'll deal with it then. But until that point, I think we can enjoy what they're doing. They're- I-, I really enjoy the content that they've been putting out if you put it into a weird sentence where it's like yeah the golden state warriors really like doing melee events in a (laughs) grassroots sense like wait what what are you trying to say (laughs) it's really cool the the, the golden state like steph curry or or, wow (laughs) who would have thunk it (laughs) it is really cool and i and i hope that that continues to happen but yes you, you something that you think of something that that I, that I've thought of and I don't I mean I I don't even begin to, I can't even begin to understand what kind of stuff you've had to go through for yourself because you've been able to be in those conversations a little bit more but like for myself as more of a spectator I just think like I remember the cease and desist very clearly because it didn't even happen a year ago for the big house 10 online but wouldn't it be just so cool if there was a way to continue to forge ahead with saying here's a legitimate esports organization that wants to get behind melee sign not only one not two not three but like you know get a whole team of melee people who understand the community and who can also have like the backing up of a fifty thousand dollar like grassroots fund to have all those steps in a really positive direction and hopefully encourage other organizations to look at melee and say hey we can put our stamp on that. We can do stuff like that. That'd be really cool. There's a there's a there's a real community here that wants to support those kind of enterprises. But then again, like like we have been talking about a little bit here, is how 
Nintendo could just come in at any time and more or less shut it down. Like, I, I don't think it'll ever be something that we're, like, truly free of until there's somehow a culture change from, like, the top. But that seems kind of impossible to me. Yeah. They're, they're like the, the legal guardian of some kid who they don't see the kid for like 364 days of the year. But that one day they come in and they ruin the, the birthday party and they say, you know, it, it's bedtime now. Or just give like the worst present ever. Like, here you go. You're welcome. And everyone's <laughs> That's going. That's so good. That's, yeah. <laughs> here's here's a, a letter from our lawyer. Please uh, shut things down. <laughs> yeah. That, I... I I don't know what's going to happen, but it, we, we still have to contend with it for sure. I, I We have not heard the last from them. When you think about the about the entire landscape of the post-pandemic world of Melee, what has stood out to you as either something that was impressive or something that you s- saw kind of shrink away and sort of disappear that you didn't like seeing from Melee as a whole? I, I think the, the big thing that people are going to be surprised with is just how many casual people still remain uh, because quarantine has really catered to the the diehard competitive uh, tournament goers wh- who just want to grind and get better and I, I, I've always been a big believer in you you, you need to keep um, every single type of tournament attendee or even just community member in general in mind and th- there's going to be the Michael Jordans of the world who, who try to be the best but that is a very tiny percentage of the people who actually attend an event, and the rest of them, they might just be there because they want to watch their friend play, or they, they, they their favorite player is on stage on at top eight. So, uh, or they want to consume content that is kind of off the wall, like uh, like BTS has been doing with with the roasts or the the skits. So, um, I, I think that kind of person gets lost in the whole uh, COVID era because you don't have live events and and crowds to be able to meaningfully engage uh, in in that way. That's one of the big questions of Melee for the past two months or so. People keep talking about how do we market Melee to the masses? How do we get to the top of the funnel? And from your own standpoint, uh, and I I, I agree with that, uh, saying that there's, there's a certain amount of people that get lost in the landscape of competitive online melee sets that there's less of it's less attractive looking to more of a casual individual there's not really as many things to care about and i think that comes across in the viewership kind of dipping down a little bit it also has to do with the fact that it's being played online and it's not in person there's always that magical thing that comes with that but what what would you say is the big reason behind it um i i i can't point to any reason but what i do know is like um, I, I mean, I think you're a good case study, uh, especially it, it is good to talk to someone who, as I understand, you, you haven't attended a, an in-person event, right? I have not. So that that is uh, fantastic because you are an enigma in the best possible way. And I, I feel like we need to dig into what makes you tick as a content creator and, and how we can put the fertile ground in for more people like you to enter the scene. Uh, because I, I believe that has been lacking in the COVID era where... Uh, the the general routine is oh you want to enter this online event cool uh, you, you don't get any in person face to face interaction you just kind of look at pixels on a screen and say ggs for me I was very inspired by what Austin Melee was doing with their content their podcast all very cool stuff and then I found the wannabes as well at around the time of five days of Melee five days of oh. Melee by the way being one of the more successful 
streams and and projects that melee has done in the entire pandemic process and i think a lot of people really enjoyed that it was really cool from all different kinds of perspectives but i i found the wannabes podcast as well so shout outs to jd and wasabi who who co-host that together Mm. they made it really possible in my mind to to contribute my own little project which i didn't necessarily picture as interviewing a bunch of people when i first started podcasting i thought i just want to talk about melee that'll be really fun mm-hmm. <laughs> and Great. it is really fun it's true but yeah. it's also been a pl- privilege to talk to people like you and 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 so on so on down the line i that's that's kind of how it started just I, listening I to yeah. jd and wasabi talk about playing and being around melee and they're not top players they're 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 good players and they're veteran med level veterans you could say but they just made it so much more possible in my mind to get involved and contribute i i really like the last point you brought up they're they're not like top players this is not uh i mean this melee for a long time it has acted like a meritocracy but that's not i think the best community building philosophy here and um just the the fact that i'm looking down the list of guests that you've had and I would say the majority of which I've never heard of. I think that is great. Uh, and um, I, I, w- one of my favorite personalities on TV is Conan O'Brien. And looking through what he's done recently is instead of talking to a celebrity guest, he's literally just taken call-ins from a random person from like Mexico City or Buffalo, New York or, or Kiev. And it has been some of his best content ever. So I think we could learn a thing or two from from just opening things up to to the the average community member who is not a top player or commentator or anybody who's well known at all i really love talking to people who are involved with melee in some capacity like uh, petra who i had on a little while ago is based in nova scotia and just helps out with the events that are run up there like the online events that are run up there and has since like started to get a little bit more with with running events and actually contributed to the free palestine net play tournament the charity mm. tournament mm-hmm. that happened and i was like oh that's really cool and th- she did not get involved because of me specifically okay and that's not what i'm trying to say i'm just trying <laughs> to say like it's really cool to meet people along the way of, of doing this project and going okay this is how your what your relationship to melee is this is why you love the game this is like how you consume or how you contribute oh this is really cool and you get to have a really fun conversation i i've i really like to key in on that for for myself and it's fun to talk to people like you you've had a very your carbon footprint and con- contribution to the melee canvas as i call it is definitely meaningful and awesome super cool but i have really enjoyed like i love the fact that you don't know or or don't recognize you know half or however many of the people that that have been on that's really cool I think that that's what I want to continue to do. Yeah, absolutely, and and thank you. Those are uh, we're we're all doing our best out here. And, and speaking of for for yourself, what are you up to in regards to uh, melee? For I'm not asking you to break any news or anything like that. No no melee HD announcement. But <laughs> what are you up to as it comes to melee and how you see a future tournament happening like a possible the big house the the sequel to <laughs> the, the 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 botched 10 online <laughs> oh man that that whole uh <laughs> that whole c and d kind of put a, a a sour taste in my mouth <laughs> i don't know if i'm uh, gonna tempt fate again with that but i i think the overarching picture is i think the content that uh people like uh, bts is producing uh 
and uh, Five Days of Melee. That kind of stuff is awesome, and I want people to to push content like that more. And, and, and that's something that I'm going to try to do, too, whenever the next event or, or project that I do is... is um, it, it's no longer just holding a clipboard and running a tournament uh, and, and seeing who the winner is at the end of the day. There's, there's people who are engaged in much different ways. So uh, that, I, I mean, I, I've kind of started doing that with uh, Big House 8 and 9. I, I think it really helped that we were in the same venue for three straight years for the first time. And uh, I didn't have to worry about that part. And instead, I could focus on creating the best experience for whatever variety of attendees uh, was was there, but at at the same time, we could do so much more with variety pieces uh, that are not smash related, and just uh, we just want to be on the backs of the personalities that are in our scene because they are great. And it's really cool to hear you talk about stuff like that because I think that's something that that's something that GG Melee does, the GG Melee channel that's headed up by mm-hmm. Golden Guardians, and yeah. you get Toph and PPMD, everybody else on there. Sorry, <laughs> I should name none and. Zane, excuse me. Wow, I can't believe Zane was the last person I named there. But that's kind of the point where it's like they're not doing just specifically stream recaps and edited down like cropped streams. Like they're they're doing like uh, trying to do original pieces. They're trying to continue on the spirit of Five Days of Melee, where there's like a, a Melee Jeopardy episode that they did for like the ten thousand subscribers special. So and good. I think people yeah. really enjoy watching stuff like that. It doesn't specifically have to be melee gameplay. And then maybe eventually there's something that's not really melee related at all, but it's still those four people involved and people going, Oh wow, that's really cool. And I've never watched melee before, but maybe I'll watch it now because I really like those personalities. Yeah. There's going to be new content creators who spawn from watching what they've produced. And, and that, that does warm my heart. Honestly, it, it's kind of like, I, I always think back to Big House 9, the last event I hosted, and I think there's something beautiful about the fact that it ended with um, Mango vs. Zane, Marth vs. Falco. This is just like the timeless matchup in Melee. Uh, it seems like anytime uh, something exciting happens, it's it's because there's a Marth and Falco in Grand Finals at some big tournament. Uh, like Ken vs. PC Chris, Mute King vs. Shiz, and, and now this generation's Mango vs. Zane. And I I hope there are other jungle guys and other ciphers who who spawn from this generation of spectators because like mango versus zane is 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 their version of ken versus pc chris and it's a really exciting future for melee as a whole despite the fact that we we've had we've we had enough of a conversation tonight to know that it's never going to quite look the same as any other esport that you could look around and go oh wow hey look developer support who knew right or they're not getting shut down or in danger of getting shut down if they get too big. Like, oh, this is going really well. Can we make it go slightly less well, though? We don't <laughs> want to get too hype. Like, it must be such a weird line for, for you as a TO to, and for the other TOs that run national-sized events to, to do, but... I really appreciate it. It is weird. It is weird. Remind me remind me to yell at Sheridan. I wanted him to to test the waters, to poke at the bear with uh, Genesis online, but he chickened out. <laughs> so I have I currently have no idea what's gonna happen if uh if I announce, hey, uh the big house online the with the second try. <laughs> like what yeah, who no, knows? No, I'm hoping at the very least that you're not going to close the door on a return to an IRL big house though, right? Yeah, you know, I mean that's a good question. Um, the the sad part is the venues 
they really wanted to know like in February. Uh, so it, it's, it was impossible to say yes to them at that time. So, uh, I, I don't know about anything this year, but, uh, definitely setting my sights on a, a 2022, uh, at the very least. Oh, sure. That sounds really reasonable to me. Like in February, uh, hardly anybody was starting to receive vaccines. I think it might've even only been available to like, you know, like the first wave, like healthcare mm-hmm. workers and immunocompromised individuals. Yeah. I don't even know if it was available like that at the time, but I mean, how are you supposed to know? How's anybody supposed to know? So <laughs> yeah. that makes total sense to me. And the fact that you're not closing the door on running the big house in in an IRL setting again in the future, the fact that you're not closing that door totally is is, is very cool to me because I I would feel like if I were in your position, I would go, you know, <laughs> maybe I could try my hand at something that doesn't involve potentially getting shut down just because it's <laughs> it's too good for the world. <laughs> oh, that's the thing with all of us. It's, you know, it, it's kind of this weird... Um, this weird gatekeeper of uh, Smash Geoing is there is no money and there's no developer support. So if you're doing it, that means you probably really love the game and the community. <laughs> and that that uh, that is something that still applies to me today. Super cool to hear. I want to start to get in the direction of wrapping up. One one other question that I wanted to ask you about specifically is this position that you took up recently over at Starduck as a project manager. And if, if you want to talk about that just for a moment, I'm more or less curious of what the heck that is and 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 what you are excited about as you continue to get acclimated to that position. Yeah, um, Starduck is a game studio in Michigan and uh, I, I'm a project manager over there. I just started a couple months ago. So um, we, uh, we're essentially developing a video game and I'm sitting kind of like at the intersection between the engineers the networking people and upper management uh, and, and making sure that shit gets done uh, between those people. So it's almost like TOing, but for uh, for a, a product that is more mature in its development life cycle, like a like a video game that is playable in in some form right now. So that that is a, a, it was a pretty exciting move for me. Um, I, I would say trying to summarize the last couple of years, there was a moment probably in like 2019 where uh, I realized I really need my day-to-day job to involve subject matters that I really enjoy. Like I, I had bounced around in IT and application development at uh, like healthcare company, software company, but I pivoted away from that. And um, I, I was at Panda for a while, also doing something similar. And uh, that it, it, there's the technical aspect, but to be able to do that and it also enjoy the field that you're doing the technical stuff in, I, I think is extremely rewarding. So I, I've been lucky to be able to find a role that uh, is allows me to do that. Hearing success stories like yours and and people like Mac Dobzev, for example, who are maybe you weren't thinking to yourself and when you first started organizing tournaments, this is going to help me get a job that is really rewarding and allows me to use the things that I've learned <laughs> from running this very small house-sized tournament with like five or ten other people. This is going to get me a really fun job someday. But like, like that's someday. how it ended up being, and it's really cool to hear stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so lastly, I just want to make sure that you can tell the people where to find you and offer any other thoughts that you have before we get going. 
yeah, that that I pretty I think we covered pretty much everything. So <laughs> thanks for having me on. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Juggle Rob. And that's pretty much it, right? That's pretty much it. I'm not a streamer. Uh, I I just you know just do my own thing. Sometimes I hop on Slippy. Sometimes I to. Uh, that 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 that's it. And when the world needs you most for all kinds of five days of melee content, hopefully sometime this upcoming win- early winter, maybe we'll get a we'll get to see a return of Juggle Rob. Sorry, <clears throat> I mixed it up again. This happens to you, I'm sure. But Juggle Guy. <laughs> hopping back on to some melee content oh i would love to i i, I think i uh, uh, i don't know about you but like some some people have been bored during the pandemic some people have tried to be more creative uh i i'm starting to feel the creative itch and i i, I want to put that energy somewhere if there's not a big house uh in, in late 2021 so one more time robin thank you so much for joining me on bottom of smash mountain thanks jesse why is it so quiet oh right transition we made it. Thank you so much for sticking around for the entire interview of Juggle Guy. And now it's just me talking. Hey, where are you going? Just kidding. I'm very thankful to, like I said at the top, to have the opportunity to talk to anybody about Melee. And I do recognize the fact that talking to Juggle Guy about the big house, 10 online, cease and desist stuff was definitely a unique opportunity, one that doesn't come by every day because this is literally the person who who was directly in the middle of that situation and yeah i could like ask lots and lots and lots of questions and i had to fight the urge to do that but it was great to talk about a variety of different things and i think you got a snapshot of why robin is so successful at the organizing aspect of running a tournament because he is able to say to people who can do things this is where I want you to go, and this is how you can succeed, and then that's what ends up happening. Very underrated aspect of tournament organizing. I think that some people might start it for the reason of saying, I want to have an excuse to play against the top players in my area, or I want to do it because it's a lucrative (laughs) thing. And then they'll eventually find out that it's not necessarily the world's best-paying job, or not even close But I think what was clear to me was how enthusiastic Robin is about the community itself and how running a tournament is not just about seeing the hype topic gameplay, but also making the experience great for everyone that's in the venue. So that was really cool to hear directly from him about stories related around the big house as a whole and then hearing, yeah, specific stories about about cease and desist stuff or hearing about how it first came to be all that kind of stuff it was great so thank you again to robin to juggle guy for joining me now before we get going here there's a piece of news that i felt the felt that is worth sharing and again i'm not trying to like (laughs) lean heavy on saying yeah or no Because the truth of the matter is is that this is all very complicated still. But the big house... Sorry. I am just stuck in the big house mode. Let me reset. Beyond the summit, beyond the smash, summit, 11, that group. You get it. Released a statement today that more or less said hacks will not be welcome to the big house 11 
in any context, not as a player, not as a spectator, not as a VIP pass, not as a person who's on staff, like, I don't know, running the stream, <laughs> not welcome as a consultant. <laughs> okay, look, I, I'm, I'm butchering this statement. I could read it word for word. You know what? Maybe I'll just do that. Let me, get, let me do that. And while I pull it up on Twitter here, I can also talk about how there is a there is going to be an event that I have set my eye on here uh, an an IRL event that is a very small local so very small you get it event that I think I will be able to go to I'm sharing this news with y'all because it's very exciting and this is something that Juggle Guy and I talked about a little bit as well just about how IRL stuff is obviously going to be very different from online setting in terms of a tournament. So I haven't been able to even compete online because I don't have access to the internet. I don't have access to Wi-Fi within my home. But the first ever tournament that I'm going to enter actually is going to be in IRL. And I think that it's going to be happening on like 99% percent gosh i'm 99 percent sure that it's going to happen as of now but until it's more official like we'll just keep it at that and i won't share any more details with you but you best believe that i will be trying to have it involved in the podcast in some way shape or form so you'll know when you know (laughs) you know (laughs) beyond the smash okay let's see the statement This is directly from at BTS at BT. Oh, there's two S's. BTS S M A S H BTS smash at BTS smash on Twitter. This is the, this is the statement as follows. Many people have expressed concerns about the content of Hax's video to us. We take the safety of our Smash Summit 11 players and attendees very seriously and do not condone behavior that encourages harassment or threats towards any of our players or staff. After reviewing the video and concerns from multiple attendees, we will be prohibiting hacks from attending the event in any capacity. So obviously... Okay, I'm done talking, by the way. So obviously, the statement did not include all the things that I said... He's not going to be there as a sales consultant. I'm making light of the situation. That is a personality trait of mine that I'm not always 100% proud of. I'll share a story as an aside. We've already done one aside about the hack situation, but we are going to do one more aside. So bear with me. But I have two children. My wife and I are very happy to have our two children that's not why I'm bringing them up I'm bringing them up because when my wife was in labor with our second child Ezra she was in labor and she had not done that for our first child because our first child was born via emergency c-section so this was her first time in labor and going through labor pains literal labor pains and for those of you who don't know that is quite painful, not because I know firsthand, but just because I was in the room with her the entire time as she was going through labor with our son, Ezra. And several times I tried to make light of everything and to give a joke here, give a joke there, and they did not land 
but I still did it anyway, like an idiot, because that's part of my personality. Like if something serious is happening, I will respect that and I will acknowledge that, but I will also simultaneously try to make a joke out of it. In fact, I think I was even trying to do that while Juggle Guy, while Robin and I were talking about the cease and desist. I think I was occasionally trying to end a sentence with a ha <laughs> ha. And we're talking about cease and desist from Nintendo. The ninjas could have been listening to this very podcast and been like, how dare they talk about this stuff? This is. <sighs> We are coming after this cipher and juggle guy guys. We're coming after them. I don't know that. Hopefully not. Nintendo, please. Okay, back to hacks. Back to Leffen. Obviously, evidence.zip2 dropped this past weekend, and I talked about it on my episode with Kayla OR. Not in our conversation with Kayla OR. I mean, after that interview was done, I provided my own opinion on it, which was more or less, hey, look... I don't really have that much of an opinion on it because I don't know anybody involved. I don't know any of them personally. So sorry that I'm not going to immediately launch into a very politically charged heavy tirade level of, hey, we should do this. Or, hey, you know, this this is a valid point here. Or, that, you know, the, the, the dark tetrad or triad or whatever. There are all kinds of different things that people can say and you can pick sides you can do all that my personal thing about it is that i don't know either of them and i don't know any of the other people mentioned either by name or being implied or inferred i don't know any of the really the circumstances that were mentioned like past history and recounts of different situations so when I see an announcement from BTS Smash where they say Hax is not going to be welcome to Summit 11. He will be prohibited, I should say, from Summit 11 banned. What that signals to me is that people who are in the know are going to say, hey, look, Hax is not welcome because of the harassment angle. That's what the statement was saying, more or less. Not because we hate hacks as an individual and never want to see him again. It's just more of like the video very clearly is encouraging harassment at the very least in Leffen's direction. And that's even if, even if it's like, even if the video was or is halfway true, depending on what your opinion of the video is, even if it's halfway true, it's still not an accurate picture. It's not 100% precise, accurate picture of who Leffen is, right? And you're you're if if you're treating the video as like true evidence that could like appear in a court of law, it, it there's a reason why it's not in a court of law. This is a court of public opinion and people are going to do what they do best with court of a public opinion stuff and some people will make memes, some people will make serious videos, some people will tweet serious threads and do all that kind of stuff. I just don't like that the situation is happening in the first place. How about that? There's a strong stance that I'll take. I don't like that any of this is happening in the first place. I'm trying to do what I can do, which is to emulate a safe, welcoming community for Melee and to push the positivity stuff. I'm not going to shy away from a negative thing if that's what happens to be the, the subject going around in the sense of refusing to talk about it on my podcast or refusing to tweet about it, I, I will try to 
contribute my sentences or my thoughts in podcast form, but it's going to ultimately add up to something that you said you would say to me, Jesse, that's cool, but I, yeah, (laughs) that doesn't really matter to me. So you're welcome. (laughs) I agree. What I have to say does not really matter. (laughs) And that's where we're going to leave it. So I read the statement and I've talked about that, how Hacks is not going to be at Summit 11 and it is what it is. I like Leffen and I like Hacks. It's a shame that it's just that all of this is happening. <sighs> but here we are. So Summit 11 is going to continue to move on and hopefully be in person. We have all kind of theorized, theory crafted about this and hopefully that will be, that will turn out to be the case and other than that, we look forward to other events happening. I believe that Gommel Online is going to be happening sometime in the near future. If it's not this weekend, I feel like it's a weekend coming up very soon where there's going to be all kinds of different brackets, not only in North America, but also in Europe. They're having Europe brackets for Get On My Level Online, which is really cool. Let's see when exactly this is happening. If you go to at Gommel's plan, and obviously for Twitter handles, there's no apostrophe. So G-O-M-L-S-P-L-A-N on Twitter is going to be, ah, yes. Melee is going to be on June 19th through the 20th, which is indeed two weekends from now. It is not on June 12th and 13th, this upcoming weekend. It is June 19th and 20th next weekend after that. So let's just say two Saturdays from now. How about that? And for those of you who are listening to this a year from now, what are things like? And has Jungle Guy announced the Big House 2022? Well, is he going to call it is he going to call it the Big House 10 or is he going to call it the Big House 11 or is he going to call it the big house 12 because it would be really cool if the year continues to match up with the number these are things to think about and if anybody is saying by the way in the present or in the future regardless if anybody is saying that you can't call it the big house 12 because there was no big house 11 what do you have to say about the iphone it went from iphone to iphone 3G to iPhone 4, 4S, 4C, 4i, PLNMOQRSTUV. iPhone names are so, so confusing, dude. And dudette. And it's. It's just, it's ridiculous how confusing names for the iPhone are. And you would think that they would just come out with iPhone 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. But no, we have to be hipster about it. So if, so if you, didn't already infer from this entire sidebar i'm saying that the big house 12 is what it should be named if we are going to have if we're going to have it in 2022 as compared to miraculously making something happen in the end of 2021 all right that's that's all i have to say i'm getting too far off base here we're really excited for gommel online and then we're excited for summit 11 we're excited for the big one that is referring to Rollback Rumbles, the big one. Let's go. We got all kinds of events happening in the early summer block here and excited. To, oh, get up, not get on my level. I already mentioned that. 
Gallant Melee Open Summer Edition. Also very exciting. And by the way, Deer is pretty much involved with the, all these events in some level, capacity, or other. Or at least it feels like it. So congratulations to Deer. Shout-outs to Deer. Okay, now I'm done. I promise. I've been talking for 15 minutes already. Bagosh. Let's get out of here. We'll catch you next time.